Are you finding you just can't get enough of the Uncommon Life Project? We've got just the solution for you. Go to our website, uncommonwealth.com, and you can click on resources and get your own book for you to explore all of the ways that you can start going down your uncommon path. We hope it really helps. Let's get back to the show. Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Life Project, where I'm your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. Thank you for tuning in. We're grateful that you are. I love our listeners. Uh, there's more and more coming, so we appreciate you. And hopefully you guys can get, or girls or folks is probably what I should be saying, uh, some tips and tricks for you to walk down your own uncommon path, because that is our goal. So uh, we are financial advisors, but I always say we're kind of quirky financial advisors Mm -hmm. that really believe that you are your best asset. Uh, We've written a book, which is super exciting. We have a whole bunch of podcasts and we hope that you get a lot of value out of that. But our goal is to make sure that you are pursuing what you love to pursue and not worrying about money, but like trying to get paid while doing it. And our motto is if you love what you do every day, you'll never want to stop doing it. Therefore, you'll never want to retire. Uh, So that's kind of our motto. If that resonates with you, then keep listening. Because today, me and the Brian Dewhurst are going to be talking about franchises. The good, the bad, the ugly, the awesome, the not so awesome. Uh, We're going to talk about them. Uh, We do think that uh, franchises are an interesting tool, uh, good and sometimes not so good. Uh, But they are a good tool to uh, start down this path. And my favorite thing about it is you don't have to, uh, let's say, carve out of the jungle. It's already been paved out for you. That's probably my favorite thing about franchises is there's a proven track record that they've walked down before. The I think for my personality, the bad part about it is <laughs> you have to go down that path. <laughs> so that can be difficult for some personalities. But Brian, where do you want to start with the old franchising model? But why would anybody even think about it in the first place from your perspective? Yeah, I think the, you know, when we look at what we started the podcast for was really to highlight the seven sources of residual income. Probably the most, you know, one of the most powerful ones in there is just business in general. So franchising falls under the business umbrella uh, for the seven sources of residual income. Uh, and, you know, I think franchises are a great way for entrepreneurial minded people to go from zero to 60 mm-hmm. in launching a business. Um, you know, launching a business is very difficult and some people don't have the experience or the expertise to do all the stuff that running a business requires. And so franchises, you know, is like a business in a box, so to speak. And a lot of those um, challenges or processes have been figured out. And so uh, it's a great way, I think, to have a turnkey entrepreneurial experience and have guidance and systems set up for you so you can do the part you know, that you like uh, within, the, within the franchise. Right. 
Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And and in that, when trying to do due diligence on which franchise to get um, and how to run it, uh, it, how much flexibility you have mm-hmm. is all taken into account when you're looking at maybe a franchise to purchase, um, and also like their past record, like their history. Uh, what's what's kind of like? What are they thinking about? I think Chick Fil A is one of those ones. They're like, oh, that franchise is amazing. But when you really dive into it. It's just an interesting model that, I mean, it definitely works for Chick-fil-A. So hear that. But one that I'm like, I don't know if I'd get into that. Right. So I want to talk about, you know, like maybe even understanding from a, like a perspective of, hey, I want to purchase a business that helps me get up and running. What franchise, like, where do you even go to the, is there a website? Like, oh, franchises.com and (laughs) You know, what do you do and how do you start analyzing some of these? Or do you just talk to your family and friends? Where would well, you I think it's all of those. I mean, there's definitely aggregator sites on the internet that, you know, have information and um, data points on how to compare franchises. I think, you know, also the company websites themselves mm-hmm. uh, have have those, you know, information and data points. Most of the time, I so we've looked at franchises a lot. Um, I wanted to bring my first foray into franchising and was a failure. So hear that, but, uh, I wanted to bring Jimmy John's into Omaha before there ever was one. And I went to my parents, I went, you know, to a couple wealthier people that I knew. And I was like, we got to do this. I was right out of college, no money. You know, <laughs> I had eaten at one, uh, candidly went out <laughs> with a buddy who was in law school in Iowa city. And, uh, you know, we we're eating Jimmy John's at two in the morning. Uh, I'll let you deduce what we were doing from there, but, um, <laughs> you know, we, so we we're eating Jimmy John's and I was like, oh my gosh, we got to open one of these in Omaha. This would kill. And, uh, you know, tried to get it going and it just never went anywhere. And, you know, now there's probably 30 or 40 of them in Omaha. So, uh, anyways, but yeah, you go to the company website and then you got to put in your information and then there's typically a packet that they send you if you're, if you're serious and meet their requirements. Um, and a lot of those requirements are financial, right? I mean, that's typically the first, you know, major step. I think we've all heard, you know, a McDonald's, you got to have like 1.2 million, you know, and a net worth and everything to do a McDonald's. So each franchise is a little bit different in terms of their requirements and the capital you got to put up and the, you know, expense to set one up. Um, and so that's just part of the due diligence process, you know, and especially like if you get into, you know, like those sandwiches will stay on the Jimmy John's train. I mean, you got like uh, Jersey Mike's Subway, um, yeah, Firehouse Subs. Firehouse I don't think subs. they're a franchise. I think they're corporately owned. And in some things, I mean, you'll see a chain. And you're like, oh, I want to open one of those, and they're not franchises. The corporation owns all of them, dictates the stores that are set up. You know, there's nothing to you could really participate in there. Um, and then other ones, you know, kind of like Chick-fil-A, like you alluded to, they only let you own one and you only own, I think, 10% of it. Right. So, you know, that is a very limited deal saying, I love Chick-fil-A, but like you said, I don't know that I'd be racing out to get involved with that uh, just for the way we're wired. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that is a lot of it. You know, you got to go there, you got to eat there or, you know, use the service and, um, and then just kind of start investigating from there. But the company to actually be a franchise, there's actually a lot of laws in this in the United States. They actually have to follow quite a few guidelines to hold themselves out as a franchise. Mm-hmm. And so there's financial reporting requirements and there's a lot of different requirements that they have to meet and um, provide to you 
uh, as part of getting into a franchise. So it's gotten somewhat more regulated so that people aren't taken advantage of. Right. So I think maybe the first point that we would say would try to learn everything you can about the franchising models in general high level, and then start diving into the one that is starting to be appealing to you. So once you start learning that, and then you can start really, especially from multiple avenues, like let's say you're Jimmy John's, for example, and then you look to do a scooters coffee hut. I don't know. But the more that you get a look underneath the hood, the better you can say, hey, this one's a good one or sports clips, haircut. I mean, there's so many out there. I don't think it's bad to to look at a couple just to oh, see yeah. and understand what they are providing. And I always love this when uh, one of our clients comes to say, hey, I got a franchise model um, and it's maybe newer in the process. Brian is always like, what are you buying exactly? <laughs> like, right. are you buying like a... Uh, like a development, like you buy on the website, are you buying the accounting of all this? Like, are you buying clients or just the brand and the logo? Like, what are you buying and trying to understand what you're buying is it's huge component of this. And I love that. So do you want to riff on that for a second? Like there is value in maybe like an accounting software that's already proven to work exactly the way it should for the business you're buying. Yeah, franchises are essentially, I mean, I said it earlier, it's a business in a box, but they've created a formula that, you know, is proven to generate cash. And I think a lot of other business owners discount the fact, you know, if you're in America and you've created a business, whether you're self-employed or, you know, whatever, and you're generating over six figures of revenue, you could probably be a franchise. Now, there's a lot of fees and expense. We've actually helped a couple, tried to help a couple of businesses launch as a franchise. And it's very expensive because of all the regulations I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're purchasing a formula that they're saying is proven to generate cash, I think, at the core of what you're buying. You know, and, and then the systems that go along with facilitating that from accounting you know, the point of sale, inventory, um, marketing, you know, brand recognition, brand right. recognition right. Uh, hiring employees, uh, all those different things that go into, you know, a franchise uh, should be included in the package that you're purchasing. And so, um, yeah, we just helped another client. Um, we're going to try to get them on the podcast, help them purchase a franchise uh, that they had worked at. Uh, for several years, and the owner wanted to step down, and and she was able to step in and purchase that franchise, and the franchise helped them. The franchise owner helped, you know, them purchase that business, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, a very it's you know we've all I think the thing that's we've all been to that franchise. I think we've you know if you're entrepreneurial minded, you step into a business and you have a really good experience, and you're just like, oh wow, that was really nice, like. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind owning one of these, you know, I, I actually loved sports clips just for my boys and I to get a haircut. It was like, you know, it's kind of hard to pin down a time sometimes. And I did sports clips for the first time. I was like, man, this was a breeze mm-hmm. and uh, you know, very kind of recession proof type business and, and it's a franchise, you know? And so I think obviously we, we all, you drink coffee. We've all been to, you know, several coffee franchises or, you know, when you go out of town, I think that's when you're really, um, senses get tripped, you know, you're on vacation, you go into a business you never heard of before. You have this amazing experience. And you're like, Oh my gosh, I could bring this back to my town. And, uh, and it would kill, you know, and we're hearing a lot 
uh, about crumble cookies right now is one of the, like, like we just keep hearing about it. I mean, Sioux Falls has one and Des Moines doesn't explain that to me. No offense, Sioux Falls, but, um, you know, and so I think those are the things that that's kind of the power to, to me, uh, of the franchise model is, is that like, Oh, I had a great experience in this other town. I could bring that to this town and you get that network effect, um, and be able to be a part of that. It's pretty neat. Right. So once you've done the due diligence and you've kind of like figured out the franchise, uh, maybe company that you want to bring into your town or a town, I think the thing then is to understanding the franchise agreement. Like you've got to know that thing inside and out uh, just so you know what you're getting into, right? Right. You've got to read that disclosure statement very carefully. And then ultimately it goes down to identifying your financial risk. And that's where Brian and I love to hunt. Like we live in this area and I would say, are you unified with your spouse in this? Mm-hmm. Like, are they excited? And that, and that example that you mentioned when one of our clients bought him, our, the client, the husband was dialed in. Like he was like, this is what I want to do. My wife has wanted to do this for so long. I can't wait to help and support her in buying this franchise. That is a huge deal. Now, do you understand the financial risks? Is right. your risk tolerance that you and your wife are together, does it match up with the, the financial risks that you're taking in purchasing that franchise? Um, and so, like, right, it has a track record, but it's always different when you're driving, you know, you're driving, you have to make sure that you're planning for the worst, expecting the best or, or whatever, you know, but you do have to understand what the financial risks are and what you're undertaking uh, when you jump into these things. And, uh, you know, the franchise agreement, disclosure statement, those things are huge. Uh, and then also too, some franchises really do let you kind of put your own personal flair to it. Others do not. Right. Um, it was interesting because I just saw this thing on Facebook where Plato's Closet, I guess, is a franchise. Didn't even know that. But uh, they were saying that you have to bring a plastic tote in uh, and don't yell at our employees because we're making it. And I, we know that Des Moines doesn't, but we're all individually owned franchises. So the Ankeny one has a little bit more stricter rules. The Des Moines one's like, just bring them in a plastic bag. We'll figure it out. So that's interesting. Probably un- under the fr- franchise agreement. She and said that the Des Moines one should be having that where anyway, it was interesting to then kind of a glimpse underneath the hood a little bit of how franchises work. I think that's interesting. Oh, so, for sure. Um, and then I w- I'd love for you to talk about, you have to understand your territory because that's a big thing with these franchises. So, it's a huge part of it. Um, one last thing on the, uh, on the uh, franchise agreement, we were helping another gentleman evaluate a franchise. Um, and that's ended up where he backed away from a deal because of the franchise agreement. It was just very restrictive. Right. He had actually a franchise attorney that he had found uh, look at it. Guys looked at probably twenty thousand of these, and he was just you know pointed out some things um, that were just really really important, and he ended up walking away from the deal because of the franchise agreement. So, you know, if you're going to go down this road, you've got to engage, I think, an attorney uh, to really look at this because it is a very important document and it's binding. And you know, depending on what kind of franchise you're getting, you could be spending you know hundreds of thousands of dollars up front. Uh, and if you don't fully understand what you're getting yourself into, you know, there's there's going to be some downside there for sure. So good point. And I, I we can move on, but I think maybe something outside the box, uncommon, 
is how many other franchises owners are there? And can you talk to them <laughs> right. before you jump into this uh, for a due diligence kind of outside the box thinking just to hear their experience, I think would be super valuable. Yeah. And so the territory thing, I think, is just obviously huge. Uh, you know, part of the appeal of a franchise is they're going to open multiple locations. The downside is somebody could open that location next to you or too close to you and impede your you know, market share, so to speak. And I think when you look at this, we've talked to several people, um, clients that own franchises or involved in franchises. It really seems to me and to us that you really probably want to own multiple locations. Um, and you almost probably want to go into it with that mindset. That might seem a little overwhelming, you know, if you're a nine to five and you're buying your first franchise to go to like two or three locations. And obviously it's franchise specific, you know, some are going to be more intensive than others, um, may not lend to multiple locations, but, you know, if you can figure out how to get one coffee shop up and running, you know, what is to stop you from getting five or six up and running? Right. So understanding the territory, the um, the demographics of that territory. So how many people per, you know, whatever, if it's square miles or if it's, you know, like what that radius is to your store relative to the population. That's super critical. Um, and we'll stick with Starbucks just because they're probably obviously one of the more um, known and they're they're everywhere. Uh, I mean, I've seen a Starbucks, like you go to bigger cities. I mean, you literally see those things like two blocks away from each other. I mean, uh -huh. they're pretty tight. Right. Um, so I think you really got to have a clear understanding of what is your territory? Could you buy multiple locations to protect your territory? And then potentially even thinking through where would you put the next one if you did get to two or three, you know, and then how do you secure that? Or how does right. that make sense? I was just um, thinking the same thing of like, hey, can you buy one, but then secure different locations yeah. as well? You know, even if you don't even open them up, but just have them like no one can put them in there to kind of protect yourself. Yeah. We we ran into that with two people we just spoke to. They wanted to do two different franchises, but wanted to put one in their town and someone had already bought the rights to their their <laughs> city for that mm -hmm. franchise, but haven't rolled it out yet. And so um that's a huge, you know, we mentioned crumble. We've heard, you know, from several people that, you know, people, very high net worth people are buying just the rights to crumble to try to lock down, you know, very large areas um, for growth. Right. So, you know, the hotter the franchise, the, the more demand there's going to be for these locations and these territories. And so it's really important to understand that, that complexity and that territory and how that formula works and to really think through that. Good point. Okay. Let's talk about restraint of trade. So I think this would fall into like, what are the cons of a franchise and restraint of trade is really like putting, like we, you talked earlier, I think you made a good job with the analogy of put his closet restraint of trade is how restrictive the the franchise is going to be with how you make money or putting your own flair or a personal touch on the franchise itself. Um, we've heard, you know, to use Jimmy John's again, I love Jimmy John's I eat there probably once a week, but they're very restrictive. You know, I mean, they're very specific about what you can do and can't do. And you better not go against that. And so I think the restraint of trade is really just how much 
corporate wants you to follow corporate and how much you can do yourself. Uh, and then really, I think it's, it's um, specific to the actual products and services. And so, you know, if you, if you um, buy a Plato's closet and then you're trying to basically sell, I don't, I'm make, making this up, but you try to start selling a new product line that they're not doing makeup and they find something. up about right. it. Right. Are they going to be cool with that? Can you bring in a new product line that other places won't have? Or are they going to be like, no, that's an infringement of our franchise agreement. We're going to <laughs> shut you down. Right. And, you know, so that's what restraint of trade is, is what can you sell within your store? How can you sell it? And does that, you know, feedback to corporate or does that, you know, infringe on the, on the franchise agreement? And, and you mentioned it earlier, the the accounting software franchise is a huge part of this because that's how they track you. I mean, most, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say blanket, but most franchises are charging a royalty on, on gross revenue. So, you know, they're taking whatever, three, six, seven, 10, 11%, you know, of revenue off the top for marketing, brand recognition, you know, research and development, all these different things. Well, you know, if you go in and try to install a new product line, how does that fit within their accounting software? If it's only one store out of a hundred. So those are the things you got to think about with restraint of trade. And if you don't want to be in a box, you might not want to do a franchise. You know, if you don't like being told what to do and you want to be (laughs) free and wheel and deal, then I don't think, you know, franchise probably is not the thing for you. Uh, If you don't mind being in a box and you just want a system and you want to work the system and you want multiple locations, the franchise is probably right up your alley. Right. It's funny. I had a friend who uh, his mother-in-law was on Undercover Boss. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Am I judging this? Yeah, uh, I think it's been a while, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So she was in Planet Fitness and the boss came to her location and basically did the Undercover Boss thing. It's really interesting. She knocked it out of the park just super bubbly. And like at the end, you know, she was like, this is who we want in each one of our stores. She went to another one to rain wreck train wreck. (laughs) He was like, Oh, we don't do that. Like, Oh no, corporate stupid. And like, Oh, it was just like, it's just cringeworthy. Mm -hmm. And like, he was like kicking people out and like yelling at people and like trying to do private, like uh, training sessions I mean, it was, it was cringeworthy, like I said. Mm. And so, but it's interesting. Like that is very, very realistic to be able to talk about restraint of trade, how much flexibility you have within the brand. Um, anyway, maybe even worth looking up, but uh, it's just an interesting kind of thought process and kind of a, <clears throat> I would say an example of what you're talking about. And so I think that's a good one. And then I do want to talk about the ongoing fees. These are huge. Yeah. And are you, uh, one, are they creating a brand so big or a franchise so powerful that you're okay with the ongoing fees? Are they a flat fee? Are they a percentage of sales? All these things need to be taken into to account when you are looking at potentially investing in a franchise. Mm-hmm. What are the thoughts do you have on that? Yeah. I mean, it's just like our world investing, you know, there's so many different layers of fees. Um, you know, we're talking to clients about that all the time, you know, we're trying to come in below market with fees to be, you know, competitive and, um, yeah, it matters. And so the, let's just walk through the main fees. And again, we're not like, we don't own a franchise, so we're not like super uber experts at franchises, but these are the basics, you know, typically most franchises have just an upfront fee, you know, whatever it is, 10, 30, 50, 120,000, 
that's just for the the business in a box. That's just mm-hmm. to like get the rights to this territory. You know, you're buying that that territory, you get the box, so to speak. That's just a straight franchise fee. It's typically one time upfront bang. If you buy multiple territories, you could get that sometimes reduced or get a deal, that type of thing. But that's just the straight franchise fee. From there, you know, if they're super particular about how you put that franchise up, um, we'll just use Jimmy John's as an example. They're they're very particular. And I appreciate that because no matter what Jimmy John's you go to, you get a very uniform experience. And for that type of business, it's super important. You know, you look at Plato's Closet, which is, you know, selling, you know, used you know, uh, lightly, gently worn clothing, you know, that's, that could be very different in a lot of different areas of the country. Right. Um, and so from there you have the cost of putting up that specific, you know, footprint, so to speak, mm-hmm. and, and what those costs are going to be, um, you know, if, if they're flexible in that, you can really trim those expenses. If they're not flexible on that, you're not going to be able to trim those expenses. So, that startup cost can be different and is a different cost than the franchise fee. Right. Then from there, you typically have a royalty, which we kind of just alluded to. And the royalty is typically on gross revenue, not net profit. So that's a huge thing to understand that, you know, if you're going to be paying a, let's just say a 6% royalty fee on gross revenue, you know, you're losing 6% of the money at the top of the mm-hmm. funnel, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Now, typically they're providing, you know, obviously the branding, the ongoing um, refreshing of the product. So if like, obviously you're in food, you're going to get the new menu items. They're testing that stuff, um, you know, or whatever, like the, uh, the yogurt, the frozen yogurt stuff, like, oh, we got 14 new flavors, you know, like that's part of what the fee's going to is keeping things yeah. fresh. Yeah. Um, and then from there, you know, that royalty fee is, is typically dialed into the accounting system, which you talked about. And, and that's how they're actually going to track that. So every location is on the same accounting software and it rolls up and they can kind of monitor the entire, you know, footprint of the business. Mm-hmm. Then from there, you know, you can have uh, ancillary fees and expenses. Uh, one of the ones that I've heard the most talked about was when McDonald's got into coffee and they're saying, you know, they'll test it typically on a few markets and then, you know, systematize it, break it, perfect it before they roll it out to the country. And then they went to all their franchise owners and said, Hey, you got to retrofit. We got to do all this stuff to bring coffee into every McDonald's. And I, I heard that that number was about 120 grand out of pocket expense to get the entire thing retrofit marketing, everything built out for, for coffee in those stores. So that's the ongoing that that would be dictated in the franchise agreement of, you know, Hey, if we do a complete refresh, you know, like Jimmy John's or whatever, and we got to redo all these buildings, you know, you're, you're on the hook for that as the franchise owner. So understanding those ongoing more one-time lump sum expenses to keep up with the changes at corporate. Right. And I think uh, training is a big thing that can be ongoing that they're helping you do the training. So you don't have to do that from owning our own business. Like it's all on us. (laughs) And like, sometimes you take for granted all the things that would come in a box until you're actually running a business and you're super grateful for it. But I think that's one of them. And then also what's the transparency with the other owners and the numbers that they are having and like, how much is the communication 
uh, encouraged within that franchise. Um, do you have like the, the number one person? Like, do you have like them on speed dial or like, can you talk to them? I think that's something to kind of work through too. I think that's a huge point, you know, and um, this isn't a franchise. Well, maybe it is kind of a franchise. So I know John Deere, um, they, you know, obviously they have John Deere implements or John Deere dealerships, they're called, but John Deere has what they call the John Deere 20, which is the top 20 Mm. essentially owner operators of these implements nationwide. And they get together. um, I don't remember how often, maybe it's quarterly or at least semi-annually, I believe. And they, they share best practices. They work very closely with corporate at John Deere and they're getting feedback and roundtabling and, and sharing the best ideas so that, you know, those, those implements are, I would say uniform, but, you know, creating the best practices nationwide. And so I think to your point, uh, there's another gentleman we met who was involved with the painting franchise. They had a similar thing Mm -hmm. uh, for their top franchise owners. And then a lot of the stuff that came out of that, that round table or that group is getting, you know, pushed out nationwide to the franchise as it's vetted and, and perfected. And so I think that's an important part of, of the franchise model where the actual franchisee owners have a voice and have a platform within the company to, you know, speak into what's happening in the ground, what's happening on main street, because, you know, we've had several clients um, who started with a franchise and they actually broke off because Mm -hmm. corporate just kept jerking them around, yanking them around, making, you know, really bad business decisions that were costing them lots of money, lots of headache, um, and they ended up just parting ways with the franchise and renaming their their business. And again, that goes back to the franchise agreement. What's what's the process to do that if if you have to pull that ripcord? Um, you have to understand that going in uh, before you get in that situation. Right. Uh, so I will say last point, and then I think this is good just how we laid it out. It's either for you or, or not, uh, but at least it gives you some ideas to think about when you're going through this. But I think the last thing that I would say, and we harp on this all the time, so it's going to be like a broken record, but make sure the franchise aligns with your passion. If it doesn't, it's going to be just for cash flow. And I'm not saying that's bad, but we would rather have people invest in something they're excited and passionate about. Uh, and so it's life-giving for them and not just like a numbers thing. Uh, so that's what we would say kind of as a final hurrah is like, make sure that you act like for me, it'd be crumble. Okay. I love the cookies. All right. <laughs> Philip Sugar loves the cookie dough. We are. Yeah. Probably be not very profitable because I'd be eating the cookie dough. But uh, anyway, I would just love it. Like that just makes me happy. And so that's just the, I think the final thought that I would have, Brian, I'd love to hear yours and then we can sign out. I wanted to go quick. Uh, what franchise would you open that's already a franchise? And then what's maybe a business that's not a franchise that you think should franchise? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Crumble. <laughs> that's that. Answer number one. Yep. And then for me, I would franchise, man, is there like event planning or party planning? <laughs> I'm Something. sure. Uh, that's what I would probably franchise. Gotcha. Something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have like five that I would franchise. I think Jimmy John's is up there for me. Um, I think sport clips is genius just because everybody always mm-hmm. needs their haircut. Uh, and it's, they got a mo- really great mobile app. And um, anyways, 
So I'd say those two for me. And then a business that's not franchise that I think should franchise is Spud Nuts in Lake Okoboji has the best donuts and uh, potato flour. And uh, anyways, I think it would do well. I've got a new answer. I've got a new answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hands down, the franchise that I think could go viral and really rock is, you ready for this? I, you're like on the edge of your seat. I am everywhere. on the edge of my seat. Yes. The Uncommon Wealth Partners. Yes. I absolutely think that this thing needs to be just a bigger platform because I think there's just a lot more people out there that just need to be advised in such a way where, no, you are your best asset. <laughs> Let's use your assets to try to help you love your life every day. So uh, cheesy, cheesy ending, but I Cheesy ending, but we're working on it. Yeah, so. That's right. So- Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Uncommon Life Project, where I've been your host, Philip Ramsey. And I'm Brian Dewhurst. Till next time, go be uncommon. Thanks for listening. Thank you. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project, brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.